Liebe Hörerinnen und Hörer, die nächsten Wochen möchte ich gerne eine Studie über den Podcast Modellansatz durchführen. Das mache ich, Anna Hein, im Rahmen meiner Masterarbeit am Karlsruher Institut für Technologie. Ich bin Studentin der Wissenschaftskommunikation und möchte für meine Masterarbeit herausfinden, wer den Podcast Modellansatz hört und wie und wofür er genutzt wird. Dazu würde ich gerne einige Interviews mit Hörerinnen und Hörern führen. Die Interviews werden anonymisiert und werden jeweils ca. 15 Minuten in Anspruch nehmen. Bei Interesse können Sie sich unter der E-Mail-Adresse studie.modellansatz.web.de bis zum 20. Februar 2020 bei mir melden. Ich würde mich sehr freuen, wenn Sie an meiner Studie teilnehmen möchten. Herzlich Willkommen zum Modellansatz, der mathematische Podcast aus Karlsruhe mit Gudrun Täter und Sebastian Ritterbusch. Hallo, wir haben this nice conference hier in Karlsruhe about mathematics of wave phenomena and the house is full of interesting people. On Monday, I saw a lecture uh, of a topic of Fioralba Sacconi and uh, I asked her to come to my office to have a conversation about this. And today she's here and I'm really happy that she takes the time away from all the interesting stuff happening <laughs> to have this conversation. So um, the talk was uh, mainly about linear sampling and uh, applying it to certain aspects in scattering. And so my first question for you, and kind of the interesting thing I want to learn about, is what is this idea of linear sampling and why can it help? Okay, so um, uh, before going to the specific question, yeah. let me say that inverse problems for partial differential equations or uh, more specifically for scattering theory are nonlinear and ill-posed. So, so it is uh, difficult um, uh, sometimes to solve nonlinear equation. Uh, and the ill-posedness means that uh, if you change a little bit uh, what you measure, it's going to give you a big uh, changes in the solution, which is not good. So uh, there is also another difficulty that uh, for uh, many problems, there is no unique solution. Uh, no matter how much data you collect, uh, there is no unique solution. So what can you do? Um, up to... Up to the point when the linear sampling method was introduced, which I'm going to explain very shortly, um, there were only two main um, methods for solving these inverse problems, right? One was, as everybody would expect, uh, so when you solve a, a nonlinear equation, you do this Newton method, so you linearize and then do the um, uh, iteration uh, to find uh, like the zeros of a nonlinear function, similarly for a more complicated problem. Um, and the other w uh, method was the so-called Born approximation. And the Born approximation would uh, uh, would um, uh, 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 change change the realistic model. So it is based on an approximate model. 
so so now uh, the idea is um, how to um, uh, solve this complicated problem in a simpler way, not like optimization method, uh, computationally cheaper, uh, and not modify, approximate the physical model. And uh, the linear sampling method w was introduced, uh, and the idea, underlining idea behind linear sampling is, is the following. So you uh, try to pros process the data in such a way that uh, uh, um, you understand the connection of data with uh, uh, the uh, uh, PD that models that particular phenomena, like in inverse scattering, the uh, wave equation, for example, and and then um, uh, understanding this uh, connection, uh, one comes up with an indicator function that uh, gives, for example, where the <clears throat> the, the the media or what you are looking for changes from what you know. Okay. So let me be more specific. So suppose, suppose like in medical imaging, right? So you are looking for a tumor and you know how body is usually composed in the normal situation. So you look for the tumor. Now you, uh, you, you, you uh, send, say, waves and you measure the scattered field back. Uh, so now you have the choice to use these measurements and try to reconstruct everything. Uh, the human body, healthy human body, tu the tumor, the material properties of the tumor, and so on. This is a huge problem with lack of uniqueness, and as I said, nonlinear, very computationally expensive. Or you, 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 you can approach this problem from a different uh, angle. So you say that I'm going to come up with a simpler way to maybe just find whether there is a tumor and the support of the tumor without actually aiming to find the material properties to find the, uh, uh, the, the, the properties of the tissue, for example, in the tumor. And the linear sampling exactly does, does that. So um, you come up with an operator that involves uh, the data and, uh, and look for different behavior of this operator um, depending on whether a point, which is sampling point, where the name comes from, is inside the tumor or outside. And then uh, this different behavior gives you solutions that either is bounded, uh, uh, that is bounded inside and unbounded outside or vice versa, depending on the situation. And basically, you plot the solution and you see uh, where the support of the tumor is. So now, you don't reconstruct, you don't uh, get any information about the material properties of, uh, of that uh, medium of the tumor that I call tumor. So just a support. So linear sampling gives you a simple way to to get to solve the inverse problem, but you get um, um, limited information about what you are looking for. And in many problems, this limited information is actually enough. It is what gives you the answer. For example, you are looking for tumor, 
and, and then you find whether there is a tumor or not. Or sometimes this type of results can also be used uh, to um, uh, as an initiating stage for other type of, uh, of methods. Just that you find the location with the help of this method, and then you can take different methods to look there more specifically, for example. Yeah, not only the location, mm -hmm. uh, but also the shape. So linear sampling gives you pretty good approximation of the shape. So location, the shape, but for example, doesn't give you uh, information about uh, the material properties. However... Um, this was the original idea behind this method, and it was introduced actually by a colleague of yours here, Andreas Kirsch, uh, and Colton in Delaware. So they, they did the simplest possible formulation of this problem. And this uh, was in um, 1998, so about 20 years ago. And somehow in introduction of this method, um, change or created a completely new uh, strategy for solving inverse problems. Uh, namely, uh, uh, trying to get information, partial information, in a simpler way, computationally cheaper, uh, but enough uh, to answer specific questions that are related with a given problem. Mm. Uh, and and actually now um, uh, uh, I mean studying further uh, investigating this uh, uh, technique linear sampling brought to light beautiful mathematics in particular in order to study the properties that I said of this uh, operator that is in term is given in terms of uh, measured data. Um, one needs to see whether this operator is injective in in mathematical language. Uh, it's called injective, but basically whether it maps, maps something non-zero to zero. Uh, and um, uh, so this is related to or brought to light a very interesting eigenvalue problems for partial differential equations uh, defined uh, in the support of the scattering object, for example, that you are looking for. Uh, and this problem is called transmission eigenvalue problem. So understanding now this eigenvalue problems, it is possible to connect the eigenvalues with the material properties. And on the other hand, by the same framework as the linear sampling, it is also possible to determine these eigenvalues from the far field operator, from the measurements operator. So putting these two things together, actually linear sampling can, method can uh, possibly give uh, estimates on the material properties also in addition to the support. With the help of this eigenvalue problem. Right, because you can measure the eigenvalues and then, uh, then you know by studying mathematically this, this eigenvalue problem, um, you connect these eigenvalues to the material properties so then you can get some estimates. Of course, you cannot reconstruct everything, but uh, because most of the problems where a linear sampling method applies uh, are problems where you know the solutions and uh, you are looking for the coefficient in the underlying model, like PDEs. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, uh, determining the support, for example, that I um, um, exemplified with the example of the tumor, means that you try to find uh, the uh, boundary where the, of the region where the medium changes from the background, what you know, just a boundary, okay? Reconstructing everything means that you actually reconstruct the functions, the coefficients in the PDEs. Now, linear sampling gives you the support as well as some information about natural properties via some eigenvalue problems that are part of the analysis of this method. Mm. Yeah, so the procedure in, in the hospital would be that they send some um, frequency of waves inside your body and then they can measure what uh, is sent back, uh, so what's kind of the answer of your body to this uh, to these waves. And so from this answer, uh, you want to find out about the tumor inside. And so it's clear what you mean with, with it's ill-posed because there could be uh, different situations inside your body which, which give kind of similar enough answers that you can't really distinguish. Uh, and nevertheless, you want to be as sure as possible about the tumor inside. And so it makes sense to have mathematical methods um, to make this a little bit simpler. And then also to find out what are kind of the, the most important questions you're asking, because you don't really want to have a full answer about everything. Uh, so for example, what you were talking about, that you want to have the shape, so like the boundary of the thing could be enough without anything in addition. And um, then uh, very often uh, you kind of test your um, kind of hypothesis on cases where you kind of can calculate uh, what would be the answer. So you kind of put some circle in the middle of something and then you calculate what would be the answer and um, learn from that. And then you have different fields. You Like you were telling, like the far field, that's kind of the, the outside thing, which would be um, what you expect in a healthy body to be with if there is no tumor inside. And if this is perturbed, then you have a, a signal where there is something else. Right. Right. So, so, so a far field, a far field uh, in the language I, I was using is that, for example, the measurements are in, uh, in practice uh, far enough. So yeah. in, in mathematics, uh, far we approximate it by infinity. Yes. <laughs> Um, uh, near field uh, is uh, when you typically are close to what you are looking for and depends on the problem you collect, near field or far field. Uh, field is the response that comes comes from this uh, object that you don't know whether it exists or not or what it is uh, to an interrogating wave that you, you send. Yeah, so uh, one question the original problem, of course, is a nonlinear one. Um, if you speak about linear sampling, does this also mean that um, the operator is a linear one? Yes. So it's a good point. So, so when I mentioned that uh, that uh, the previously uh, traditional methods used are either nonlinear optimization or linearizing the model, yeah. right? So, so now linear sampling actually gives rise to solving a linear equation without actually. Um, uh, approximating the physical model. So, so the data 
is uh, comes from the f true model, no approximation. Uh, approximation, I mean, uh, this uh, uh, linear uh, linearization of the model comes from assumptions like uh, the the object that you are looking for produces. It's a very weak, for example, scatter produces a very small scattered field, and then you can um, modify the model, and then uh, the inverse problems become linear. But in many situations, that's not the case. Or, for example, you ignore multiple scattering, so there are two objects nearby and they interact with each other. So in that model, you consider each of these objects separately. So this is not a good model in many practical situations. So linear sampling doesn't change the model, but actually uh, uh, computes the indicator function by solving a linear equation. Because you, 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 you simply, you have the data and you simply um, um, come up with a uh, um, integrating the data against uh, against a, uh, a function, a density, and this is what is actually known as scattering operator, and you have the scattering operator, which be, uh, depends linearly on the density, but it's nonlinear with respect to what you are looking for. But you are, you are not writing the equation as an equation uh, that, that maps data to what you are looking for, but it's just superpose the measurements, and then depending uh, on different situations, you say that uh, the density of the superposition uh, remains bounded if, for example, a point is inside or unbounded if the point is outside. So kind of you differentiate between two states and that's why this method gives this kind of the support inside versus outside, for example, of the object we're looking for. Mm -hmm. But that's correct. It's a linear, it's a linear procedure solving a nonlinear uh, problem, and that's the beauty of it. Yeah, that's um, because then you lose a few things which are not nice and nonlinear ones. But uh, if you don't have to approximate the original problem itself, it still keeps enough of the information inside your problem. Yeah. Also, with what we really didn't touch, because uh, for us it's kind of clear that when you send waves um, inside, that then there are uh, several possibilities. So, for example, it could be also reflected uh, and then scattered. <laughs> right, right, yeah, this yeah, multiple yeah. scattering yeah, that yeah. I said, right? Yeah. It's very complicated. Actually, if you consider a realistic model, so the waves just bounce around, even if you have a lot of small scatterers, so... yeah. So, of course, for me, from the applied department where we are also doing numerics, I'm always um, immediately thinking about how costly it is and then to make, may really make numerical calculations with this model. So what's, what's done there? Right, right. So, so, so uh, actually, as I said, very costly is if one would do, like, uh, would do this uh, Newton uh, or um, iterative methods because it would mean that when you try to minimize a certain functional, then you have to solve like a lot of uh, forward problems uh, which are complicated. Now, linear sampling, the implementation of the inversion is rather simple because you simply solve uh, integral equation, which is uh, a, a linear integral equation, um, 
so you have a boundary integral operator over the measurement surface equals to uh, the what uh, would, what would be the measurement if actually a point source was coming toward the the, the measurement device. So it's a very simple equation to solve. It's not costly. However, there is nothing for free, right? So <laughs> so the difficulty in the numerical um, uh, solution is. Uh, uh, to deal with ill-poseness, because uh, uh, solving this integral uh, uh, equation means that you invert a compact operator, and in mathematics, in analysis, well known that uh, that the inverse of a compact operator, if it exists, uh, is unbounded. And if the inverse is unbounded, it means that uh, it maps. Uh, small changes in the data to large changes in the solution. This is not what you, you like to have. So, and uh, now this is a whole area of uh, research in inverse problems, and it is known under the name of regularization theory. So uh, basically, you penalize your equation with uh, some uh, small multiple of identity operator and make it uh, well posed, right? But uh, of course, there is a trade-off here because you lose the approximation uh, in order to gain some stability. So there are uh, mathematical issues that you have to deal with. But stability for linear sampling, it's a bigger numerical issue than, uh, than the cost, the numerical cost, because it's linear, but highly, highly imposed, highly unstable. So, the, so in the discrete verge, uh, settings, when you solve this equation, you, uh, one obtains a, a very ill-conditioned uh, matrix to invert. So ill-conditioned means if you try to invert it, small errors um, get really large. Get magnified. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Now, of course, if you uh, look at this from the modeling point, um, then um, you would say the physical thing you observe, of course, is well-posed and um, should also be possible to be solved. So um, only the combination of uh, having this compact operator inverted into an unbounded one together with the regular, regularization is probably giving the physics, you know, a, a correct frame in your model because you have a little bit uh, knowledge about what material properties you expect inside the body or inside um, some objects, things like that, because we sometimes we use this also to guess what's um, below the earth. Yeah, right, uh, underground imaging, underground, yeah, yeah, uh, a lot, yes. Yeah, yeah, and so you have uh, additional information which you should bring into your model, otherwise you shouldn't be surprised if things behave so strange because your model is just a little bit strange still. Right. So, so actually, your your prior knowledge about the model actually comes in uh, on the right hand side of this equation because a compact operator comes um, from um, you have. Uh, oh, uh, actually, uh, before I explain this, let me let me say that um, linear sampling doesn't work with uh, one measurement, meaning that you send uh, away from one a point and then you measure at that point. So, linear sampling to work needs we call it multi-static data. So you have a lot of receivers send simultaneously waves and then you measure what comes back in all these receivers. So you have like a array of antenna. Mm -hmm. um, 
so 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 basically having a array of antenna means that you sort of have a, uh, the discrete version of a function defined on, on a manifold mm-hmm. right on a on a surface yeah. And what you do, actually, the linear operator that uh, is on the left-hand side of the equation, it's simply uh, integrating over the measurement surface these uh, measurements against a function, say, square, square integrable function. So it's a very simple operator. In, in this operator, you don't uh, put any prior knowledge from the model, right? It's just so the model is encode it in the measurements, right? Whereas on the right-hand side, so you say, I like this uh, operator to equal, try to find a density such that uh, this uh, uh, superposition equals to, uh, and there you use uh, the knowledge on the right-hand side, uh, the knowledge about the model, because you equal it to uh, the evaluation of the Green's function for the model Okay, on the manifold. So, so in order to compute the Green's function, you need to know uh, what what the model is. But the healthy model, right? So, if you are looking for something underground, you actually model the Earth from the physical knowledge uh, by a set of uh, PDEs, and then you compute the Green's function associated with that model you needed to put on the right hand side so basically you kind of test uh, test your your measurements against what would healthy healthy uh, material look like right and then uh, there the discrepancy uh, of the existence of some something else that it's the object you are looking for for example comes in and then uh, mm. this no i just was um, referring to the fact that the regularization is part of the modeling because it sounds a little bit like cheating yeah you know <laughs> that the, the process is unstable in order to do something with it you have to stabilize it and that's why you regularize right, right. i mean okay yeah so 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 actually the regularize yeah it's true And the way how we regularize it, the better, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the smarter the inf- prior information about the model uh, is put into this regularization scheme, the better the, the, the problem becomes, right? But, but uh, yeah, so, so actually in the abstract uh, framework, without any modeling sort of uh, consideration, the other uh, regularization becomes like uh, solving like the first ki- uh, first kind integral equation so inverting a compact operator versus inverting identity plus a compact operator so the latter is very well behaved right yeah. but the prior is uh, is uh, badly behaved but uh, you are correct so so uh, you actually yeah need to put uh, uh, prior information about the model in order to have a better handling of the situation. Mm-hmm. So what are the questions uh, you are dealing with just now? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I uh, uh, so as, as you heard the talk, uh, one of the uh, big concerns with the linear sampling is uh, exactly what I per- uh, mentioned uh, just, just uh, 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 earlier yeah. um, about the um, uh, need for a large aperture, spe- spatial aperture of data. So you need a big antenna and a lot of receivers and transmitters. So this could be a drawback, for example, in some applications. Um, Uh, so our idea is to actually uh, work because uh, or the method was mainly developed for a frequency regi- fre- 
frequency domain, frequency regime. So you have the wave equation, but say, say you take the Fourier transform and you work in the frequency uh, domain. Or you can consider like waves that behave like time harmonic waves. That is not really a physical model because you lose causality of the waves and so on. So we would like to extend this idea to the time domain. And uh, has some has been some work before, but uh, uh, not at a very rigorous level. So one of the con uh, questions I'm concerned with at this time with some collaborators is uh, to develop rigorous mathematical uh, linear sampling methods um, in the time domain. Other other uh, questions that I I look at um, I'm looking at right now is um, imaging in periodic media. Periodic media is becoming uh, a very hot research topic due to all kinds of uh, engineering uh, devices and this uh, fancy materials, metamaterials, and so on. So one question that uh, w one could raise is that if you design this complicated periodic material, is it any mal malformation or uh, mal um, uh, any, 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 any fault in, the, in your design? So you, people are uh, interested with non-destructive testing of uh, complicated materials. So, so one of the problems that I'm looking at is using linear sampling Ideas, not exactly the, the original one, but same type of ideas to to image a complicated media like periodic structures and so on. Yeah, then the question would um, so would usually expect the material to be okay, and from time to time you would want to have a signal that you had would have to check it a little bit more um, rigorously, and then you can of course uh, change this or maybe simplify this a little bit. <laughs> right. Uh, well, I, so actually, you, you, you get these measurements, and because of the noise and because of the measurements error and all of it, actually, you just see a signal. Yeah. You don't really capture, uh, uh, you don't um, see visually uh, a change, right? Uh, unless you are in like one-dimensional signals, you may see a, a change or so on. But typically, if you just plot your data, you don't really visually see uh, any in, in an understandable way. You may see differences, for example, but in an understandable way, what's going on. And that's why mathematics is needed to process mm -hmm. this, right? So, so but uh, as you were saying, so in the context of this periodic media is that, so, so those are very, uh, yeah, sometimes there are microstructures, so small periods connected together, right? And then you would like to figure out whether actually some of the periods is wrong when you build this device, Or actually, uh, yeah, um, or, 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 or see uh, how the microstructure, for example, affects your measurements, trying to understand uh, macro and microstructure. Because uh, understanding this connection, then you uh, try to, again, using this linear sampling methods ideas that actually we call them qualitative methods in inverse scattering uh, to get information about the length of the period. So these ideas can actually be de developed Uh, for other problems, for other questions, but the bottom line is uh, is what I said: sort of get some qualitative information about the scatter. Mm -hmm. um, 
a little bit earlier you were talking about the, about the fact that you also had eigenvalue problems which kind of translate properties. How do they enter the, um, your consideration? Right. Actually, the, this uh, trans, we call transmission eigenvalues. Yeah. These transmission eigenvalues actually have a very deep physical meaning. They are related to um, uh, frequencies. I, I just said that in the frequency domain, you look for you. You suppose that the, the waves are time harmonic at some frequencies. So those are the frequencies for which you can send a wave that doesn't produce any scattered field back. So it is sort of you send waves, and these waves do not see the scatterer. So it's, the scatterer is, is invisible with respect to this particular uh, wave at this particular frequency. So these are transmission eigenvalues. Um, so they are really uh, fundamental to actually understanding the wave uh, phenomena. They are as fundamental, arguably, as uh, the resonances, uh, that it's a very mature concept in, in, in uh, scattering theory. So, so they, they have a very deep uh, physical meaning. So, so actually, uh, this uh, meaning that they are uh, frequencies that do not produce any scattered field back uh, give us the possibility uh, to determine them from the measurements operator. So naively you think that I have this measurements operator and if I collect data in a range of frequency, right, and uh, that range of frequency contains one of these eigenvalues, then somehow the operator map, maps something that it's non-zero to zero because the scattered field is zero at that frequency. So there is more mathematics behind that, but basically that's uh, the, the underlying um, connection. Mm. Uh, yeah. And now from mathematical point of view, um, has been a lot of fun um, um, analyzing this eigenvalue problem because it's non-self-adjoined. And many times you have to treat it as a nonlinear eigenvalue problem or generalized eigenvalue problem, and then all these tools of nonlinear eigenvalue problems are needed to handle to handle it. That has been a lot of fun and has been actually um, uh, a main research topic uh, in the past ten years. So, with my colleague uh, David Colton and uh, Hussam Hadar. Uh, we wrote a SIEM uh, CBMS monograph on all these ideas for inhomogeneous media. So uh, it's uh, qualitative methods uh, and transmission eigenvalues for uh, homogene inhomogeneous media. Actually, maybe I should say that transmission eigenvalues, this eigenvalue problem, uh, comes in if uh, you have like penetrable uh, scatter, mm. like a tumor. But you could have, in, in many cases, uh, obstacle scattering. And in that case, these eigenvalues are replaced by uh, interior eigenvalues of this object. Uh, which uh, are, say, if you have like Dirichlet boundary condition, would be Dirichlet eigenvalues, so are simpler eigenvalue problems. But for inhomogeneous media, you have this uh, very interesting and complicated, which is called transmission eigenvalue yeah. problem. And also, at least in my experience, uh, dealing with the, these types of questions, there is really no chance to make like a series of measurements going through this frequency and seeing that near this frequency something is happening because if you 
don't touch it directly, which you never do really. Mm. Uh, you just go over it and you don't see that there is something happening. So the only chance to get it is through mathematics. That's correct, yeah. So, so yeah, it's absolutely correct. So you cannot just tune it and then, yeah. uh, right. So, so mathematics, now, now sort of, yeah, it, it is done through the analyzing this operator and by actually looking at the operator and the behavior at yeah. those particular frequencies, it's more stable. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely correct, yes. One dimensional would be actually, so if you are like, you send waves and then you tune it very slowly and then you don't hear any, any, any signal and then you keep going, but that's not the way. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. Um, it's obvious listening to you that you're absolutely fascinated by your research topic and so to say you're the problem you found for yourself to devote your working life with. Um, why did you decide to become a mathematician? <laughs> okay, so uh, I actually love mathematics since uh, since I was a little child, and I, that was my favorite uh, subject. And uh, when I was in high school, I had an excellent teacher who was like a role model for me. And during that time, I started participating in math olympiads. At, at that time, I, uh, my country would participate only in, uh, uh, within a Balkan countries, not international, so it didn't go that far. But so I started participating in math olympiads, did well, and I was really highly motivated to become a mathematician. I love mathematics. Mm -hmm. um, actually, my education uh, was undergraduate was uh, more from the pure side. So we had a very uh, a lot of courses in the uh, abstract level. Uh, and then when I was visiting uh, Professor Dacios in Greece, so he handed me a book which actually had uh, all this mathematical concept in the context of some applied problem. And it was exactly actually scattering theory. So when I opened that book and I said, wow, there are actually real operators that are called compact operators that in school I learned in, very, in a very abstract level. That was a design of uh, undergraduate education in my, in my time then. So, so basically, I actually, having a strong mathematical, theoretical background, looking at the application, I was so fascinating, and so I took that direction. Yes. So in your CV, I saw that you also spent quite a time in Germany. As a indeed as a Humboldt fellow, which is you know uh, being invited as a Humboldt fellow, um, it's kind of an early age, but nevertheless, it's it's you have to really compete to be considered worth um, being called a Humboldt fellow and get the, the support of the German government to do that. So, how did you uh, come to work with people in Stuttgart? Right. Um, so. Yeah, so, so Humboldt actually, I mean, for me it was, it opens all the doors and it was wonderful. So I, before, I was considering uh, to go with, uh, uh, working with Reiner Kress, uh, who actually has done work that I'm doing in the same area where I'm working, uh, now in Göttingen. Uh, but, On the, other, uh, the year before, uh, just before applying, I uh, went to a summer school in Italy and uh, was a German professor, and he suggested that uh, I apply 
uh, with uh, Wolfgang Wendland in Stuttgart, uh, who was a little bit further from my immediate interest because he's in numerical analysis and uh, but that was a great decision. So, uh, because it sort of broadened my point of view that I saw other areas of mathematics and met a lot of uh, wonderful researchers from many countries, and that was a very, very good experience. I even learned some German, Schwäbisch. Schwäbisch Hall. Yes, a person from Karlsruhe, there's always a slight tension about um, people in Stuttgart, yeah. but of course, mathematically, this is stupid, it's not true. No, absolutely. But uh, yeah, that was a wonderful experience. So I got one year, and then uh, I applied for an extension, and actually I got a full second year, which was really great. But then, uh, then it happened that uh, in Stuttgart, I met a professor from the University of Delaware, and he recommended that I apply there. So uh, then I had to actually interrupt the second year, went to Delaware. But uh, uh, Humboldt uh, has given me so many opportunities to come back. So that's a wonderful thing of Humboldt because you belong to to a community, to Humboldt Front. Uh, everywhere in the world there is a society of Humboldt uh, um, fellows and uh, stipendians and so it's a uh, It's very good. So, um, did, so going from country to country, at least uh, going to Germany, you stayed in Europe, but going to the States, um, did, did it feel very different? Uh, at the beginning, yes. At the beginning, yes. Uh, um, so, professionally, it's sort of... Uh, in the academic environment, it's pretty similar. You know, there are... Uh, small differences, how actually yeah, uh, things work out, but in the, on the professional level, it's pretty much, pretty much international sort of way in academia, right? But the culturally and kind of to try to to get um, adjusted to to life there in America at the beginning was quite difficult. I mean, step by step, also moving from Albania to Germany was also difficult and a new experience and then move from Germany to America was uh, so at the time when I uh, came to, 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 to Stuttgart uh, I had a daughter uh, I have only one daughter but she was seven years old and so then she started I mean uh, to, uh, she liked it very much but needed to adjust to, to new friends, new language and then we moved to America so she had to do it again and the family but But, but it's an interesting experience, yeah. Yes, and um, you kind of stayed in the States up, up to today. So you made it your new home. <laughs> right. Yeah, I stayed in Delaware until, uh, so from 2000 until 2015, uh, when I got this offer from Rutgers and I decided to change. Mm -hmm. Is there a difference in the uh, way the students are um, pre-educated or behave Uh, during the time they uh, you teach them, so even you know in between Delaware and Rutgers or in, in between Europe and um, the states. Yeah, I would say uh, a big difference uh, uh, was when I started teaching from uh, between Europe and 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 the United States. It's not more the behavior, but uh, uh, the way how uh, how um, 
teaching is done. For example, from my experience, I don't know now, might, might have changed in Europe, I don't know. But so from my experience, I taught in Albania. In Germany, I didn't teach, but I, got, I, I was uh, observing what was done. So somehow undergraduate uh, education in math, it's uh, more rigorous. Whereas what I found out in America, the undergraduate education, not at the honors level, but at the normal level, actually it's not so rigorous. So uh, courses that um, that are um, like proof-based courses are uh, more limited. So this was something that actually I was surprised at the beginning. Um, uh, so, 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 so the uh, uh, level increases uh, very much in honors classes, and at Rutgers, for example, we have a wonderful honors program, and that's a difference now between Rutgers and Delaware. Rutgers gives a lot of emphasis in uh, in mathematics more. Uh, Delaware is kind of more applied, sort of oriented. Uh, so honors program, it's really very rigorous that I would equal to kind of education, undergraduate education in Europe. Whereas non-honors program, sometimes it gets like a recipe-based type mathematics, and uh, that is a difference that I have observed. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so f my view from outside is that somehow... Um, they don't consider, for example, a bachelor's degree in mathematics not really to prepare to become a mathematician as we consider it, but it's more a broadening of your horizon in direction of mathematics, no matter what you decide to do with that afterwards, yes. At some extent, yes. Yeah. Yes, and, and actually it's conceptually this education in the U.S., it's sort of, uh, so so you have you, you declare a major, but uh, but actually in order to graduate, about like uh, 40% of uh, credits will be taken outside your major. So it's kind of more liberal arts type mm. education. And uh, those, so that's why at Rutgers we actually have a very uh, uh, well observed and controlled honors program. And uh, students who want to become mathematician and go to graduate program, good graduate programs, come to this small uh, honors program because the rest they may get a degree in mathematics, but they may decide to do all kinds of things: work in the banks or work in other areas or completely change the focus yeah actually yeah it's correct yeah um so what would be um a wish you have for the next um let's two to five years or something <laughs> in, in professionally yeah, or <laughs> professionally yes uh, okay so uh, with this wish I mean uh, professionally I wish to solve <laughs> a lot of open problems that yeah. I have so hopefully I'll make progress but uh, so for my advancement professional advancement actually in, in at Rutgers we have two levels of uh, professors so full professor and distinguished professor. So I would like to actually contribute enough and uh, have a strong enough record to, to get uh, the position of a distinguished professor. That's uh, a goal of mine, but that's, 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 uh, it's not uh, so important. Important is that um, I, I progress <laughs> with my research and uh, so and with uh, yeah, I, my students produce good students, graduate students, and they get good jobs, and uh, they are strong enough to become mathematicians on their own. So I mean, uh, really, I, I when I think of my life, uh, actually, yeah, as I said, I have family. My daughter is grown up, just one daughter. 
But uh, I would not. I can't see my life without what I'm doing. <laughs> so I, I tell myself, no matter, even if if I don't need uh, uh, money or I have everything, I would go every morning to my office and do my research as I do. So somehow I don't see myself out of this routine, and and I, I keep. I wish to keep continue this way. <laughs> Thank you very much that you took the time during the conference to talk to me. Thank you. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Thanks for uh, inviting me. <laughs> It was a great, uh, great experience <laughs> talking to you.